so you're basically asking the question between um, the two ways that are practiced, and Bhikkhu Buddhadasa has both ways, but <clears throat> when he does recommend or talk about the second way, people really pick up on that. Um, so we can talk about those two ways is one is where are we going to the breath? And uh, one answer would be wherever something might occur or wherever it happens. The other one is uh, to watch the, uh, the breath at the nose tip. And that this is actually something that comes from later literature, most specifically the Vasudhimaga. And that there's a story in there about, um, uh, let us say, a, a walled community or a walled town. And that um, the wall is secure so that not even a cat could get in over that wall, but that the wall does have a gate. And that all the traffic that comes in and out of that town is to come through that gate. Therefore, the, the guard does not have to continuously scour the village. He only needs to watch at the gate. I see. The answer to that is no, you can only watch at the gate once you have already scoured the village. Once you make sure that there are no robbers, no bandits, no cats or whatever inside the walled compound, only then can you be uh, comfortable and secure that the gate is all that needs to be guarded. All right. Uh, and so guarding the breath at the nose tip. There's also um, another analogy. And that analogy is a child that's in a swing, um, uh, a hammock. Now, children, especially little kids, laying in a hammock is very common in Thailand because ha hammocks, especially if it's just a sorry, just a piece of cloth that you have tied on the ends, are very easy to come by. You don't have to go to the store and buy a fancy hammock that any good piece of cloth will do the job. So, um, once you put the baby in the hammock, you have to kind of watch the kid because he's still awake. But once the kid goes to sleep and is not in uh, real danger of trying to climb out of the hammock, all we have to do is to keep the hammock out of, uh, in the corner of the eye to make sure that it's still swinging just a little bit. It's still there, okay? okay. All right, so these are the two analogies about the distinctions between the um, uh, experiencing the breath all over versus holding it at the nose tip. So then you can say that, okay, if we are going to hold it at the nose tip, that's a very advanced way of doing it. That you basically have to wait until the child's asleep or you have to actually do the inspection of the entire village first before you're you can you know that it's free from. Um, uh, problem people or. Whatever. So. Um, generally, what you can say then is that. In order to go into first jhana and attain first jhana, that's when we're actually doing an investigation of the body. And that's also when we're going to do investigation to make sure that all of the anxiety and all of the tensions and all of that stuff has already melted away and we are left with a sense of. Very nice sense of well-being. Once we get into this state of uh, very pleasant well-being where we know that we've got all of the jhana factors together. So that we feel like a champion, we feel like we can do this, we feel like that we've got the mind fit for work, that our breathing is good. 
and we're well uh, going on in, in progress like that, that is when we can begin to allow the breathing uh, to be monitored now with sati only to the point that we know that it's an in-breath and we know that it's an out-breath and that we can do that in any place but a convenient place would be as it's leaving the body the nose or the area around the mouth but there's also uh, a method which we call chasing or following the breath to where the mind goes with the breathing from the beginning of the nose down in and then back out. This actually really will help calm the mind is okay. this chasing and following to where in the beginning we just merely want to have it someplace on the body for the Kaya Nupasana to be at least doing something with the body. And so the beginning of the practice would be uh, anything that the body is doing and that uh, uh, breathing actually is a fairly big event because so much of the body is associated with it. Yes. Okay, the whole torso from the middle of the face uh, up into the sinuses, uh, all the way down into the abdomen, um, uh, that uh, the breathing and the diaphragm muscles and all of that stuff. So there's a huge area of the body that's associated with the breathing and that we want to inspect it both on the inside and the outside. And so for the outside, we can talk about it in the sense of uh, the touch of the cloth, the touch of the air on the body. If you don't have a shirt on, you can feel the air. If you're wearing a shirt, it can be quite noticeable that you can feel even up on the shoulders that while you're breathing in and breathing out in a long deep breath, in fact, there should be a whole lot of body movement. Yes. And so you can feel it on uh, kind of on the back in yes. this in the back area and over mm. in here when you're breathing in and breathing out, you can feel many, many things that are going on in the body. But one of the things that we want to pay attention to is the four, the front part here, in the sense that this is normally when we, where we will also experience sensations that we normally attribute to emotions or feelings. For instance, a tension or a tightness in the chest will often be expressed as uh, or, or said to be anxiety. Okay, um, an, another example of that would be uh, most people, I would say generally all of us, those are, some are not aware of what's going on, but if you step to the edge of a precipice, like you're in a very, very tall building, uh, the first time that I went up to the top of the Empire State Building, it was only a rail. The last time I went, which was about 20 years ago, it was completely walled in, completely glassed in. They had already had too many people go over the side. But the first time I was there, you could actually peer over the side and see the tiny little cars and whatnot so far below. And it gives a sensation of the body. It is a physical sensation that for some people is a heavy, heavy tingling from the calf down to the feet. The feet just feel like they're almost on fire um, from the sensations of looking over the precipice like that because there's a great... Pardon? A vertigo? The sense of vertigo? Vertigo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, exactly. Yes. They even have, I forgot about that. They have a word for it. Yes. And as some people, for some, for some, it is so bad that they almost feel like that they pass out, that they'll take a <gasps> like that. Uh -huh. yes. and, and so in the movies where people have to uh, cross over a dangerous area, they're in the mountains or whatever like that. And always the advice is don't look down. Yes. 
because if you look down, that's when that feeling of vertigo will come. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but you've been there before. You know what I'm talking about. You know that sense of vertigo and the various feelings of the body that it can associate with that. All right. Yes. The breathing is the same way. There's a lot of stuff that's happening when you're breathing, and we can get to know the body that way. Um, there's also a discussion, um, because in the Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, translation, he has embraces the phrase of the breath, because in step three, uh, coming with the breathing in and the breathing out, then experiencing the body, uh, the whole body, the question is, are we experiencing the whole body or merely the body of the breath? Now, the body yes. of the breath would be from about here down to the abdomen, but in the Goenka technique, in the body scanning, they scan the whole body. The other uh, uh, method, the Mahasi method, they talk about rising, falling, touching, sitting. Well, the rising and the falling is going to be the breathing itself. The touching then is going to be the touch associated with the movement of the cloth or the skin or whatever. But then that sitting, that brings in the whole body, the whole proprioceptic system. And so uh, the question then is rising, falling, touching enough the way that Bodhi would say, or is rising, falling, touching, sitting, or going for the whole body, or doing the whole body scan, knowing the whole body, that's also part of the Anapanasati practice, but we begin to get in touch with the whole body through the body of the breath. So it's the body of the breath, not the body itself? Well, it's the whole body, but we need to start someplace, okay. okay? Just like eventually, when the mind is so stable that we're, it's, uh, and we have developed the skills to go into second jhana, that's the time when we want to get it just guarding the breath in the nose tip, in the sense of that you've got very little going on in the mind now. Okay. That the mind is so directed and so focused that you've got it down to just, let us say, one little poem. That you say that same poem over and over and over again. Or if you want to bring it down even further, you can get it down to just a mantra. And so in uh, northern Thailand, they use the mantra Budo. And the boo is on the in-breath and the do is on the out-breath. But then you move it from the whole body of boo on the in-breath and do on the out-breath to a very subtle boo-do. Mm -hmm. And that while you're breathing in and while you're breathing out, you experience the touch of the air. But then but between the out-breath and the next in-breath, you want to wait a while, maybe four or five seconds to keep what they call the nimitta going. Now, the nimitta means that I can experience that touch of the breath at the base of the nose tip, even while there's no air going on, but I've gotten that sensitive, okay? But that's that kind of uh, sensitivity, while it might be a good way for a monk living, living his life uh, sitting in the woods, for time structuring, really, um, <clears throat> what he actually is in need of is a mind that's fit for work so that he can understand the Dhamma. Because if we've gotten the mind so still that all we have is a boo and a do, it's pretty hard to deal with, with dukkha. That we actually, that's too much. Okay, that's, that's too much. Um, So the, the right, we need to find that sweet spot. Remember the Buddha's path is a middle path. And the middle path is the middle path then between the very high jhanas 
where the mind is stopped and uh, only observation is going on. Now, this is a very, very nice state, and it's good to have. The other end of the scale, though, is going all the way back into hindrances. Mm. And that's that's too far. That's uh, when we're self-flagellation and punishment and being critical and all of that kind of stuff. And the sweet spot is that place where we're nurturing ourselves. When we're telling ourselves everything is fine and everything is all right. And we're experiencing the body in a state of pleasure. And this is the first jhana. So this is the place where the Buddha also... It's actually in Sutta number 38 where the Buddha says that it is the first jhana that is in fact the path to enlightenment. Yes. Not the higher jhanas. That is the first jhana. That in fact when we're in the higher jhanas, we can't <laughs> we can't think at all. To where in the when the mind is hindrances, we can't think straight. And we yes. want to get the mind into a state to where it can think straight, but it's still thinking. Mm-hmm. That's the way of looking at it. That we don't want to put the mind completely at, uh, to rest, um, because it's only valuable then when it is at rest. Because most likely, what will happen for that for the person who has let us say raced through first jhana into second jhana, and has not really fully developed first jhana yet, then. When he leaves second jhana, his only option is to go back into hindrances. Mm-hmm. Yes. What we're warning is, is that whether you practice second jhana or higher or not, your fallback position is not falling back into hindrances, it's falling back into no first jhana. jhana. Okay. okay. Doesn't that make good sense? That's that is, Oh yeah, now I get it. Right, that first jhana, that's the sweet spot. That's yes. the place where we want to live. That's the place that we want to dwell and call home. Because we need to be able to think straight. And most people can't think straight, but not thinking at all is not the solution. That if you went uh, into a state of second jhana or higher, and stayed that way for days and days when you came back out of it, you probably would wake up in the ICU or in the morgue because they mm-hmm. would think you were dead because you weren't responding. You wouldn't do anything. You'd just sit there and they'd pick you up and lay you out and that's okay with you because you're not thinking about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So in that regard, we don't really want to be in those kind of states um, unless the environment is correct. But what we're looking for instead is to get ourselves into a state so that we are absolutely in a marvelous state, no matter what state of reality we wind up in. Mm. Okay. That's now the way of looking at it. So we're looking for the sweet spot. So let's go now to Sutta number 19 and talk about what the Buddha says about the first jhana, because here it's got an interesting analogy. And the analogy, uh, do you remember that they talk about the bathman or this bathman's apprentice? Yes, yes. Is using uh, powder. Yes. My grandmother made biscuits. Mm. And so that's my memory because she did it exactly the way that they're talking about here with the bath powder. And that is, is that my grandmother would have a, a big bowl of fresh water and she would dip her fingers in it and she would sprinkle the water off the tips of her fingers onto the dough or onto the flour, actually. And then she'd put her hands back in the flour and and dabble it on very much like it was raining. Okay. And so we can think of the each drop of rain is like a penny from heaven. Or uh, just a little, just a little thought of joy. I see. So we keep sprinkling the joy on this dry, dusty, 
uh, flour or um, uh, soap powder, which would then be the mind that is, um, let us say, has been pounded into dust by all the dukkha that we've had for the past many years. Or another way of thinking about it is um, uh, being critical. You know, when we're when we criticize, that means that we're like cutting things open and keep cutting and keep cutting until we pounded it into nothing but dust or flour. That we keep grinding, we keep grinding, and we keep grinding. Okay, so now we're going to take it and uh, moisten it with with joy or put some juice in it. And that's the analogy then, is we keep adding the joy. So I, I very much uh, look at um, uh, this analogy of putting the water onto the plant or onto the flower is exactly the same as the gladdening of the mind that the Buddha yes. mentions in step 10 of Anapanasati. That we keep gladdening the mind, we keep freshening the mind, we keep dabbling the mind, putting a little moisture on it until eventually the whole mind becomes pervaded with it not to the point to where it's leaky or got too much joy, but just enough so that it becomes dough, where there's not any of it that's still uh, dry, which means now uh, that, because I've seen it that way, that you, that you can take the, the, what you think is dough and you can pull it apart. You can see, no, there's a whole lot of flour left in that. That's why it needs to be kneaded. That's what they call it. Kneading is to knead is to take the extra um, part that where there is flour left within the dough to knead that out so that the, the joy gets everywhere. I see. That's the way that we look at it is, is that the joy needs to pervade both inside and outside. So while we're, while we're watching the breath, we can actually um, experience the body then with the breathing in and the breathing out as a way of the needing of getting the dough to where it's completely uh, not uh, um, too much, but just enough saturation of the joy of gladdening the mind so that we don't have uh, any anxiety left on the inside. So this is where we come back to the part about experiencing the body both inside and outside. On the inside, what we're going to experience are the sensations that would be associated with emotions like sadness or grief or anger or uh, those kind of feelings. And we're going to experience the body on the outside in the sense of the of, of the touch, the rise and the fall of the breathing and whatnot like that. But the whole point is, is to be completely saturated with sukha. Is she? Okay. That there are there is no dry spots left in it. In other words, yes. there's the dukkha is is gone. This is now the first jhana, mm -hmm. that the first jhana is in fact a state where one is free from suffering because we have kneaded all of the, uh, uh, the dry parts out of it and have left it with a complete ball of dough that is, um, let us say, ready, ready for the oven. <laughs> I see, I see. And so this is the first jhana, and it does have that quality of, I can do this. It does have that quality of gladdening the mind and making the mind fit for work and, the, and having the, the breath fit for work. This is the needing or the time that it takes to um, make sure that, yeah, there's no anxiety. Hey, everything really is really nice right now. Things mm -hmm. are good. This is the kind of uh, language that we use when speaking about the first jhana. That it's really nice. It's pleasant. Everything is good. And there and so, is uh, uh, some sense of... Uh, while I was uh, reading about the jhanas, I came across a concept of uh, 
sine uh, nimitta that appears uh, right before the jhana forms. It's a sign within the mind, like a white dot or something like that. They call nimitta. Um, I think a lot of stories have come out uh, about Anapanasati and meditation in general when they're actually talking about a particular kind of meditation. Now, the particular kind of meditation that I'm talking about is referred to generally as Kasina meditations. You okay. see, in the time of the Buddha, uh, before the time of the Buddha, and in fact, the practice that he had was external casinos. Uh, uh, like what the fire. What Buddha did that was so marvelous was that he took the casino meditations and brought them on to the inside. Okay? But when the casinos are on the outside, um, there are several kinds. One is like a mud pie. It's a round dish made of mud that's dried in the sun. Another kind of uh, casino is uh, taking a group of leaves, maybe one leaf or a whole group of leaves, and stitching them together into an object about this big. Mm-hmm. And you take that mud pie or that uh, uh, stitched together group of leaves, and you, you look at it and study it to get all of the various textures. If it's leaves, then you want to see all the veins of the leaves. And the mud pie, you're going to get all of the uh, various grains of sand and rocks and whatnot like that you can see. Then you close your eyes and reconstruct that. I see. And then you open your eyes again and reconstruct it again. And then you keep closing your eyes until you finally have a complete mental image of that thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have to practice over and over and over again. Open your eyes studying it. Close your eyes and recollecting that. Open your eyes and studying that. Closing your eyes and recollecting it over and over again until you get a a clear image. Another way that's much faster than that is by using a candle or a flame. Yes. Because candles themselves are mesmerizing. So this would be called the fire meditation as opposed to the earth meditation, which we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or there's also crystal gazing or water meditation. And there's also sky gazing, which would then be the air meditation. Now you can gaze in the sky in the daytime or you can gaze at the sky at night. And there, there's a quite a difference. And you could say that sky gazing in the daytime is what gave rise to meteorology and our study of the weather, and that uh, night gazing gave rise to astronomy and astrology and religion and all kinds of other stuff, right? So we as humans have been doing these kinds of casino and fire meditations gosh, hundreds of thousands of years. And it was the Buddha who took that whole idea of these casino meditations and whatnot and brought them in to the inside. I see. Okay. And so this idea of the nimitta or the idea of the image is merely brought into Anapanasati in the sense of, well, how do you know that you're breathing? Hmm. How do you know that? Because you can feel it. Yes. You can feel the touch of the air. Mm. If That in fact, taking a deep in-breath and putting your attention into the nostrils, you can feel that air moving by. Yes. Okay. And if you watch closely for a long period of time, you can feel that air even when it's not moving by because you're very sensitive to that area of the body. Yes. That's the nimitta, just like the nimitta for the casino meditation is when oh. the eyes are closed. When the eyes are closed, then you have a mental image. Well, now you're having a mental image of a, 
uh, touch sensation. That so mental it, image it's is not going visual. To be, it's not going to be an image. It's going to be the sensation of touch. Oh, okay. 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 And that sensation of touch is going to be there whether the air is moving by or not. And that's the nimitta. And so to describe that in the Vasudhimaga, they talk about it in the sense of a touch of cotton. Yes. yes. Yeah. Cotton wool. Just some touch there that you can experience. All right. But is is <laughs> wait, is it necessary to experience the jhana? The nimitta? Uh, no. To both. No, in the sense that it's not necessary to experience the higher jhanas. And if you are working with the higher jhanas, it's not necessary to use the nimitta. That you contain, uh, and that in fact, there is a way of short-circuiting and going into the jhanas without having to develop all of these strenuous exercises that were there. Uh, the, one, the way to do it very easily is what they call the vipassana jhanas, and it's basically using a well, well-developed first jhana as a jumping-off point. And so the meditator here is going to spend all of his time developing the skills of the first jhana and then using that to just pop in and out of the other jhanas as opposed to systematically working his way through them. Okay. That we're spending all of our time um, working with the first jhana and then the other jhanas will, will occur. As opposed to, because uh, what will happen is, is that many people who uh, are working with jhana, they always want a higher and higher jhana, and they never fully develop the earlier jhanas, which means that their later jhanas are kind of unstable. I see. And so then they work really hard to try to stabilize the fourth jhana, where in fact it's quite easy to just to get into the fourth jhana if you have already developed the first jhana sufficiently i see so yeah. to get to the first jhana do i need to feel the cotton the nimitta or just no. to the okay no. i can reach you, it and, uh, and in fact what you can do is you can decide what kind of nimitta that you want to have because in the first jhana we have a whole lot of uh different possibilities Okay, but when we're going into the higher jhanas and, and especially talking about going into the second jhana, we want to limit the nimitta to just one thing to get the mind completely absorbed into that one thing. Okay. But we're not going to live our lives that way. Normally, what we want to be able to do is to stay on something, to visit it long enough to get it. And then let it pass. Yes. The basic way of saying the difference between Anapanasati versus the Mahasi method is that in the Mahasi method, they note it and they note it and they note it and they note it and they keep noting and keep noting. In Anapanasati, we note it well and let it pass and get on to something better. I see. And note it well and let it pass and, and go on to something better. In other words, we keep using it as a choice. And so if, there's, if you're going to have it uh, in language of the nimitta, the nimitta that you're going to choose is not the nimitta that you have found, but rather the nimitta that you want. And so you could actually use joy as a nimitta, or you can use this water that you're sprinkling on the uh, uh, the dough yes. as the, as your nimitta, the visual image of ah oh, another drop of joy, another penny from heaven. Yeah, this is good. Okay, and so we keep that's the nimitta then that we want to develop for the first jhana, is to get the mind sharp and get it focused and to uh, be able to. Uh, apply it and keep it sustained 
what are we going to sustain it doing? We're going to sustain it guarding to make sure that only uh, wholesome thoughts come in. To not so, allow unwholesome thoughts to where a noting practice is going to note unwholesome thoughts and let more wholesome thoughts come in and note those too. Here, we're not going to allow that. We're going to actually change that powder into dough. With joy. We're going I to see. keep dropping a little bit of water on it and a little bit of water and a little bit more water. And whenever we find any powder left in the dough, we're going to massage it and knead it and, and sprinkle it with water and take that out too. I see. It's a completely different way of looking at it. The Mahasi method and the way that it's practiced, actually uh, an example or a way of talking about it is, is that you really, really, really have to see the dukkha. So you have to go really deep into the dukkha. And when you finally see how bad dukkha really is, then you'll give it up. <laughs> okay. Which could put someone in the dark night of a soul or something. Another way of looking at it is, is that, no, we're going to get really keen and focused and sharp on what dukkha is. And so just the hint of it. And off we go. We're not going to be dwelling in it. We're going to leave it away. I see. Note it well and... Out it goes. Let it pass and come back to a state of um, joy. Come back into a state of, um, as we've said before, uh, the can-do attitude, the pity, the attitude of I can do this. I feel really good and I can bring myself into fe feeling good anytime I want to. I mean, what a relief that is, just to know you you don't have to have any more troubles the rest of your life. Yes. yes. We're already to the point of, uh, what is the name of the song, Ahuna Matata? Yes, yes. Yeah, no worries for the rest of our days. <laughs> That's the right attitude. The right yes. attitude is not only can I handle it, but I got no worries now. That's I can handle system. this. Whatever yes. happens next, we got it. Yes. So, uh, when do I know how, when I, I should, uh, like, uh, change from, like, uh, watching the whole body of the breath and the guarding point? When no hindrances appear anymore? Uh, For a stable while? Let us say it this way. Let everything become a new toy to play with. Okay. And everything being a new toy to play with means that toys are to be played with. So you can experiment a little bit with guarding the nose. You can experiment a little bit with um, dropping the raindrops on. But whatever that you're going to be doing... We want to make sure that you're not allowing hindrances into the mind to come into the mind and remain. As soon as the hindrances come in, you throw them back out. That's yeah, I'm, the I'm striking point. them. Yes, I've been doing that. And then everything else is good. Everything, yes. I like this. Yes, uh, I've been feeling very good these days. Okay, so that's the, the questions I think about about first jhana that you were having. Now, here's the thing that's very interesting in, is, is that those very items that are listed in that sutta that we've been discussing that has the bath powder and all of that, those are the same items that you find in the Anapanasati Sutta. Yes. Which actually indicates then that the Anapanasati practice is designed primarily for first jhana. And that that's all you need. That that's it. That first jhana is enough, but after you have a, a good practice of first jhana, then other toys that you could play with would be to guard the breath uh, uh, with this nematode that we're talking about, perhaps using Budo 
and actually get to the experience because it's really quite marvelous to to recognize that you are completely thoughtless that there is no verbal dialogue going on in your mind at all yes i wish i could experiment that but when it first happens almost always the student will come out of the jhana by by mentioning that hey i did it uh, I, hey, would, I, I would be, I would be very excited and scared at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just the first step of the second John is being able to get into it. But then the next thing is, can you maintain it? Can you keep it quiet yes. while you're watching the breath, while you've got the nimitai going, and that you really can get to a deep state of peace yes. because you're not even thinking now. Will I know when I, I reach the first jhana? Is there some distinction? Because I think I uh, only got to the point of access concentration, like you said uh, the other day, but not jhana. Yes, okay. This is, this is an important question in the sense of how do I know when I'm in first jhana? Uh, first off, the first jhana is a... Uh, it, um, it's a state where we have all of the factors gathered together. Yes. So part of the investigation for the first jhana would be, do I have this factor? Do I have that factor? Do I have this factor? Do I have that factor? And do I have this factor? And if I've got all five factors, that's first jhana. Yippee ki okay. okay, that's it. I've got all five of them. Okay. okay. Now, the first one and the most important one is freedom Get from freedom. hindrances. Yes. Right. Yes. That we've got all the unwholesome thoughts out of the mind. Thoughts mm -hmm. about the past, thoughts about the future, all of that kind of stuff. And then we use the gladdening of the mind to get that inside of the body all freed up so that we don't have any anxiety or fears or worries yes. or any of that kind of stuff. And we can bring ourselves into a state of sukha. Yes. Sukha means a pleasant state and everything is really nice. Free from fear, free from anger, free from frustration, and especially uh, feeling safe and secure and yes. content. Feeling completely content. Now, that's something that you could say that no Bob Moss, uh, mob boss ever has is a mm. feeling of security, a feeling of safety, a feeling of contentment. They're always on guard because yes. they've got enemies. They know they've got enemies. They made intentionally those people into enemies. Okay. Yes. And so there's, and I'm not content because I've got to have more and more and more. I got to be a bigger Bob boss. Yes. Right? Okay. So when we think of it like that, this, this state of sukha is generally a state that we don't give ourselves very often. And some people have it very rarely. Yes. But we do have it from time to time. Yes. But the worker who came home from work, he put his coat on the rack and he sits down in his easy chair and uh, he relaxes. Yes. Right? If he didn't, he'd probably go crazy. People do give themselves heart attacks because they don't give it a chance to ever relax. Here, we're intentionally bringing ourselves into a state of open relaxation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the state of sukha. And this sukha is actually born from the position of being free from the hindrances. And also, we kind of talk ourselves into the state of well-being. Yes. Over time, we begin to recognize, hey, I can do this. I can do this. And that's when pity kicks in. So that the pity actually is the confidence of sukha. Yes. Pity also has a quality of a little bit more energy to where sukha is a little bit more effort. Mm. Okay, uh, pity is almost like an overblow, an overjoy. An example yes. would be uh, uh, at a football game, a, a national championship or something, 
that when the t- when the touchdown is made, the guy who made the touchdown, what does he do? Immediately after he makes the touchdown, he throws his yeah, arms yes, in the air yes. and he yells and yeah. he raves <laughs> and he spikes the ball and all of his yeah. teammates comes and jumps all over him. That is the experience of pity. It's great adulation. We did it. We did it. Okay. Yes. And that is then followed by the feeling of sukha is, oh, this is when we look at the score and we see we're ahead. Ah, and we can relax for a moment. Okay, so this Pitti Sukha sequence, guess what? The people who go to the game, they go to the game for that feeling. Yes. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for that adulation. They're looking for that spike of really great joy. And yes. you don't have to go to the game for that. You can sit there on the floor and experience those that. kinds yes. of feelings directly. Exactly, because they're all looking for a feeling, but they think it's the the football game that made them feel that way. They don't recognize that we can just tell the story about it, and people start to feel that way just because I'm telling the story of it. They can remind themselves. So we have to keep reminding ourselves that, hey, we're the champion here. Hey, we can do this. I see. Hey, we just scored points. We threw the hindrances out. That's the point scoring that we're making. Okay, so this now, uh, these two things, this pity and sukha, are the outcome then of being secluded from the hindrances, and we've got three of the items of the first jhana. I see. The next two items is to be able to apply the thought, the mind, into wholesome thought and sustain it in wholesome thought in the sense of keeping these feelings of sit, pity, and sukha going. Can you maintain that state of well-being? Can you maintain that state of great joy? I see. And when you can sustain it, then that is, in fact, now the definition of first jhana, is to be able to get your mind into a great state and sustain it. And so those are the two skills that need to be developed for first jhana. One is to get into that state, and then to be able to sustain it. I see. So uh, to develop pity, it's a kind of a matter of time in regarding to sukha. If I de- develop a sukha over time, over meditation, meditation, pity, then we'll it start gets to... It deeper, but we have to practice sukha right from the very beginning. Yes, but pity comes when I can uh, maintain sukha from uh, time to time. Right. This is what the gladdening of the mind is all yes. about. Yes. It is to put ourselves into that state of sukha, and then we tell ourselves, I can do this. I can do this. I'm a winner here. I can do this. And that gives us then the feeling of success and the, and the added uh, oomph of the pity. I see. So pity and sukha can be developed together like that, but most people, they develop first sukha and then pity, but Mahasi people, they don't develop either one of them. And so they've got a dark night of the soul. They've got to have a whole lot of dukkha before they figure out that they've got to get out of it. Yes. Here we just say, okay, a little bit of dukkha. Nope, out it goes. But in the uh, two techniques, uh, it's like uh, one is much more suffering and the other one is like uh, very smooth. Like Anapanasati is very smooth, and the other one is very rough. Uh, they can even call it dry and versus wet. Yeah, yeah, I, I've read that. Wet is something yes. that is, um, it, I think, came along with the dry. You see, the Buddha never taught a dry method. He always taught this wet, juicy method. Yes. And people arrive at the same place, like uh, after... Uh, the dark night, I think, uh, they go to uh, string entry? I would uh, say possibly yes. That a way of thinking about it is uh, that there are four ways of going. One way of going is the slow easy. The second one is the slow hard. Mm-hmm. The third one is the quick and easy. And then the other one is the quick and hard. Generally, it's, uh, they, they refer to Zen 
as the quick and hard, the sudden awakening, the slamming of the door in your face. Okay. The, the hard part, right? Okay. Yes. And that you can think of Anapanasati is the slow easy. And you can think of the Mahasi method as the slow hard way of doing it. Why? Because they have so much dukkha for so long until they finally have a dark night of the soul and then they can get rid of it. I see. Okay, to where here we're starting with all of the right tools right from the beginning. I see. And which is the uh, quick uh, and easy? I'm sorry, what? what which is the quick and easy? There are Why four ways. There are four ways. Uh, and there is the slow and Generally, hard. it's reflection. Uh, no one knows which path they're going to be on and everything. Uh, I don't know of anyone who has been on a, a quick, easy. Even the Buddha was on a slow, hard path <laughs> yes. for a long time. <laughs> yes. I think we all would like to have the quick, easy. Yes, yes. But Anapanasati is definitely the slow, easy way to do it. It's easy because we keep throwing the suffering out and to the point that now we, we don't have it. We don't have to, uh, like the Mahasi method, really get a whole bunch of dukkha until we're completely covered with it and drowning <laughs> in it. And, and, oh, God, I've got to get rid of this stuff finally, you know. That's not the way we're doing here. We say, oh, yep, there it is. I get it. Get out, out you go, out you go. I see. And so, um, when, when you're practicing, remember that there's an easy way to do this. Just keep throwing it out. Keep throwing out all of the unwholesome thoughts. Thoughts of frustration, thoughts of sadness, thoughts of anger, and replace it with thoughts of, I can do it. Thoughts of, this is nice. Thoughts of, we can handle this. No problems. Everything's going to be all right. I like that phrase. Yes. Yes. One of the things I thought these days was exactly that. You, you, I remember you said that uh, everything is going to be all right when you were giving the example of the mother and the baby and what she should do instead of beating him was uh, laying down and hugging him and saying that, that like uh, uh, was very vivid to me at the moment. Great. Well, let's finish this off now. I got another student waiting and yes. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. But this has been great. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It's been very great. All right. Have a good well, day, okay? Be free from hindrances. Enjoy okay. your life. Okay. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.